This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Today, we're talking about plagiarism as it relates to two things close to home, podcasts and a press release sent by William & Mary, Kelly's alma mater, and mine as well. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn. Let me introduce the other members of the team. First up is wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. And fresh off his hike up Whiteface Mountain, Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Good morning, Marna. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Mike. Today we're going to examine a few situations where plagiarism was alleged and try to figure out if that's what really happened. But first, I want to tell you that I have proof, yes, proof, that if you're a faithful listener to our podcast, you'll be on your way to not only enlightenment, but riches. I have in my hand a check for $53 because I followed Kelly's advice and checked the website missingmoney.com to see if there was any unclaimed money in my name. Well, sure enough, in Rhode Island, I found there was unclaimed money in the amount of $53 for a rebate program that I'd been involved with 20 years ago. All I had to do was download the forms, fill them out, and return them. And in a manner of seven short months, I got my check. So you see, we'll take seven you right months. to the promised land. Stick with us. That's not false advertising. Wow, seven months. Seven months. Wow. Okay. Seven have you, months. Have you divided $53 by <laughs> seven months and your time? And, <laughs> <laughs> and phone calls to the office in Rhode Island. They're very behind. Good yeah. for you, Marna. That's awesome. 50, That's 53 great. bucks. That's Thanks for telling us about that, Kelly. So this does remind me of an ethical um, or etiquette vignette I heard about. I want to ask you guys about it. A friend of the family was the executor of her mother's estate. And while closing out the estate, she reached out to unclaimed money to see if there was anything under her mother's name. And there was. It wasn't much. It was a little over $100. So the executor filed for it, just like I did. And when she got it, she immediately turned around and donated it to Catholic Relief Charities. Well, when the other siblings found out what she'd done, they were furious. First, at not being told, and second, not being able to share in the $100. So, Mike, what ethical dilemmas does this bring up? Oh, you're bringing up these, uh, I tell you, these memories of our, how many inheritance podcasts? I think we did at least two, right? We did two, and we have enough material to do another one. Oh, my. Okay. And, uh, boy, this always dredges up uh, all kinds of feelings, in some families at least. So I think when it comes to inheritance and it comes to executors, radical transparency is in order. There must be absolutely nothing that goes undocumented, unsaid, unshared, unnotified. And I think so. This this executor um, probably was exhausted by the whole process and just said, oh, I can't believe this came up and let's just get rid of it. But that's not the right answer. Kelly, do you agree? From a legal perspective, the executor has a fiduciary duty to act in the best interests of her siblings or of the other beneficiaries. Um, She has to do that legally. Um, She has to prudently take care of that money and her mom's other assets. So although I don't think it's that big of a deal, from a legal perspective, it is. She, you know, she has a duty to her siblings and the other heirs. So Even though it's just $100, she needed to take that money and put it into the estate account, assuming it was still open, and communicate with her siblings about 
about that money um, because her primary duty is to sort of identify the assets in the estate, collect them, bring them together, and then see that they're properly apportioned uh, amongst the heirs. So, you know, and obviously communication is the key, as Mike said. If I look at it with my just regular person hat on, really $100 you're going to get all worked up about for those siblings? I mean, who, who the heck cares? I mean, you're going to get into a fight and get mad at your sibling over a hundred bucks. I mean, and it's what is it to you? Thirty bucks, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just silly. But having said that, you know, she can't do that. So there's the regular person hat and the legal hat, and yeah. radical transparency should have prevailed, even for a hundred dollars. Yeah, yep, and once I you, think so. Yeah, and once you accept that job and become executor. Um, or executrix of an estate. I, I mean, that is a significant responsibility. Often you have to post a bond, and you have a duty and obligations to those other heirs and to the estate. Very interesting. Okay, thank you both. On to the main body of this episode. A couple years ago, Kelly told me about a podcast called My Favorite Murder, which I started listening to on a long drive to New Mexico, and I really enjoyed it. It's part true crime, part stand-up comedy. It's quite an unusual combination, but it works. But after a few episodes of in-depth descriptions of murders and criminals, I started wondering, where are they getting all their background information? Because they never mentioned a source, they never acknowledged a source, except occasionally Wikipedia, which, by the way, is not a primary source. Well, what do you know? Not long after that, I read an article in Indianapolis Monthly Magazine about another true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. Crime Junkie was accused of plagiarism by journalist Kathy Fry. On Facebook, she called out Ashley Flowers, one of the presenters on Crime Junkie, for lifting entire sections and direct quotations from a four-part series about the murder of Arkansas teen Casey Wood that Fry had written for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in 2003. Journalist Fry wrote on Facebook page, quote, You quoted a portion of my copyrighted story almost verbatim later saying, shame on you. Either conduct your own damn interviews or share with your listeners the source of your information. And by the way, in the podcast, Ashley Flowers never acknowledged the source of her information. Other people have discovered similar acts of plagiarism in other episodes of Crime Junkie, some drawn from television crime shows and others from internet forums. In 2019, Ashley Flowers said that with sponsors, Patreon, live shows, and merchandise, she's on track to make her Crime Junkie podcast a seven-figure business. So before we move on to Mike first, I just want to put out a definition of plagiarism for us all. This is from the Oxford Dictionary. Plagiarism is the practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as one's own. And it's from the Latin word plagiarius, meaning kidnapper. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Kidnapper. Wow. So, Mike, you're the historian. Give us your insight and perspectives on the alleged crimes of Crime Junkie. Yeah, I think she's way out of line, um, especially when she's making what seems to be a significant amount of money off of this. In your intro material, uh, Marna, you included the line, if it's on the Internet, it's in the public domain. And, um, you know, a lot of people, right. I think, think in those terms. And I, I have to vigorously disagree because, you know, the Internet has become now more than just something we use for convenience. It's an academic tool. Um, it's used all the time in scholarship. So Ashley Flowers, you know, she committed a foul here. 
you know, the, the author of the original article, the one who conducted the interviews, I mean, she has every right, not just to call her out publicly, but I mean, at some point, if it, if it became an ongoing thing, you could go after her legally. But I'm interested to hear what Kelly has to say on that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a little bit complicated. Even from a legal perspective, it's a little complicated. I, I think intent matters, and I'm not talking from a legal perspective. I'm just talking from a from a regular person perspective. I wonder how much Ashley knows about copyright law and intellectual property, how well-versed she is with regard to plagiarism and fair use and uh, some other legal doctrines. So now, obviously... You know, Martin and Mike, when you get to that size where she's looking at that kind of money, I mean, she's got to have a team and people helping her. So that's where I'm confused, um, that there aren't people to point out these issues for her. Basically, a copyright exists automatically in an original work of authorship. So once it's in a fixed or tangible medium, so this article in the Arkansas Gazette is copyrighted just by the fact that it's in the tangible medium. No other steps need to need to be taken. Um, you can enhance protections by registering with the copyright office, but you know the author was protected. Period. So potentially there's some you know there's some legal issues there. She would have to register with the copyright office before she could take legal action. And then there's the concept of fair use, which it sounds to me, Marna, like this probably went beyond fair use. Was it extensive? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what is, what, explain to us what fair use is. Okay, so fair use is an exception to copyright protection. Um, it balances the copyright holder's rights with the First Amendment and freedom of expression. It permits the use, I would say the limited use, of copyright materials copyrighted materials without the author's permission in certain situations, but you must attribute. So examples of this would be commentary, criticism, parody, news reporting, research and scholarship. And there's actually like a four-part test that you look at, like the purpose and character of use, nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substance of the portion taken. I think that's where Ashley may have a problem. And then the effect of the use on the potential market. But it's very important that you that you attribute, right? Right. I, I think there are, there are some issues here. I don't know that you would monetize it from you know the author's perspective, but I can understand her being distressed. You know, she did all this extensive work. You guys know more about journalism than I do, but I can imagine that she was out there working this story, interviewing, you know, numerous witnesses, meeting with the victim's family, possibly potential suspects, the police, private investigators, all sorts of things to put together a four-part series. Oh, I'm sure it was a lot of work. And if the podcast had read like a paragraph from the article and then talked about the paragraph contents, that would have been an example of fair use if they had cited it, correct? Yes, I think, you know, limited. I think it was a little lazy of her. Um, You wondered about her background and was she familiar with copyright? And frankly, I remember learning about citing sources in junior high. And she's been to college too, so you can't get through English 101 in college without learning about plagiarism and citing sources and things like that. So apparently she just forgot. Or maybe she thought this medium didn't require it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I think a lot of people view plagiarism as having to be in writing. 
like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not plagiarism if I'm, you know, just talking about something. But as you pointed out, plagiarism isn't just somebody's work. It could be their ideas. Yes, and that's very nuanced. Right. And I think among people who are well-informed, they realize it is not just in print. Because think about music, for example. Um, We don't necessarily use that term in music, but, you know, one of the things we see over and over again in the courts is the idea that someone has taken from somebody else's musical work and uh, it can be pretty specific down to a few a few bars which four notes right and so that that whole idea if it is the creative work of someone else they must be given attribution I think is pretty powerful and it seems to me it's pretty well known among people who communicate for a living whether that's through music or through in this case Ashley Flowers who runs a podcast, or someone who writes for a living. I think it's really a failure on her part. Um, And it's not that hard, especially when you're in sort of the free-flowing domain of podcasts. You just, you generously credit your source, and you make it, you know, you perhaps then lead people back to that original material, where Kathy Fry is going to get a few more sets of eyeballs on her work in in a regional newspaper, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. As far as scholarship goes, that's why we always cite sources, is that so people who are interested can keep dis- the discovery going and keep researching by finding the, you know, the source documents. So it's important to keep them accurate. Yeah. So these podcasts, several podcasts of Crime Junkie have now been removed. And Flowers sent a statement to Variety magazine, which I'm properly citing, and she said in part, We recently made the decision to pull down several episodes from our main feed when their source material could no longer be found or properly cited. Since then, we've worked to put additional controls in place to address any gaps moving forward. Our work would not be possible absent the incredible efforts of countless individuals who investigate and report these stories originally, and they deserve to be credited as such. We are committed to working within the burgeoning podcast industry to develop and evolve its standards on these kinds of issues. Okay, that last sentence, developing standards on these kind of issues, I think that's unnecessary. I think the standards are there. You cite your sources, period. If you don't, if you use somebody else's material, it's plagiarism. Just because it's a podcast, doesn't matter. The standards are there. Yeah, I agree. Sounds like Ashley, law- Ashley Flowers got a lawyer. Um, based on the language there. You know, she probably, this was a startup. She probably did this at her kitchen table by herself for a couple of years, and, and now she's got a staff, and so... But I, I, I understand what she's saying, and I understand how somebody could... I know you and Marta disagree with me, but I understand how somebody could think that, you know, kind of an oral discussion, sort of um, shooting the shit, so to speak, online and doing a fun podcast, you know, that you could kind of be a little bit loosey-goosey in doing so. I mean, I can understand somebody actually thinking that's okay. And it does become a fine line when you're discussing topics and you go out, you know, because we all prepare for these things and you take notes and, you know, maybe you just aren't as careful as you should be. Some of these podcast episodes have been, now been removed, which is causing some listeners to complain because now nobody will know about the murder of this Arkansas teenager, I guess she was, all because Kathy Fry wanted credit. And there's a lot of blaming and pointing fingers on the forums over this. What do you think about that? Don't believe everything you read on internet forums. <laughs> That's what I think. Who said uh, that? Who said the immortal words, you can be led astray by the internet? 
Mike Derrick. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Marna. You giving me credit for that? Yeah, you said that. As I said a moment ago, I think Ashley got legal counsel and she realized she'd opened herself up to some liability and so she shut it down and she's found success. So now there's a lot of there's a lot of potential with her project and there's a lot of profit with her project. You know, she's probably in that very tough situation where if she had gone back and like made a correction she could have opened herself up to potential liability. Oh, she certainly opened a liability from Kathy uh, Fry, but she would draw attention to that and perhaps cause herself further troubles. So she, in essence, just sort of buried all the evidence. Right. She removed all evidence of sloppiness in the past. And it does seem that she has tightened things up a bit. Now she has a list of sources for each episode and apparently Mm -hmm. mentions the sources during the podcast as well. When you're researching, keep careful and accurate notes of the source and make sure that you cite everything because it will come back and bite you if you don't, as we see. The only thing I'd say, you started out by talking about her listeners being angry at, you know, the journalist because she was enforcing her, you know, copyright rights. And they shouldn't. They should, if they're interested in the victim and what occurred, they should read the articles and learn about it directly from the sources and from the source, the Arkansas is a Democrat Gazette, as well as I'm sure there are a number of other articles out there. You know, they don't have to wait for the podcast. Well, I think that the forum comments showed, uh, one of you mentioned a lot of misperceptions about plagiarism. Some of the uh, forum participants said, Ashley Flowers never said she was a journalist. She said she was a storyteller. So why should she have to cite her sources? <laughs> well, of yeah. course you have to cite your sources. <laughs> Whether you're a journalist or a storyteller, of course you have to. Correct. And interestingly, I remember a, a scenario from a number of years ago that surprised me, which is if Kelly writes me a letter and I want to put the contents of the letter in one of my books or something, or I have to get permission from Kelly because she owns the copyright on that letter. Even though she sent the letter to me and it's now, I always thought it was my property. It's not. She has the um, intellectual property rights on that letter. Yeah, that's right. Because it's my work. It's your work. Um, yeah. Yep. So it's interesting. I, I went online and copyright.gov is really good. I know sometimes I sound like a nerd, <laughs> but it's very interesting. It's really good. It you know, like it has um, frequently asked questions page. It has a page called copyright in general. I have it up now. It's it's excellent. And it really gives you a great summary of how copyrights work. And I don't think a lot of people realize that a copyright exists or arises automatically in an original work, you know, of authorship. Uh, you know, Mike talked about what you know, what that could be. It has to be fixed in a tangible medium. Like it couldn't be like a um, a play's choreography, but it could be the play or music or a movie or poem or book or letter. Well, what about for movement? Is there any copyright parallel for movement or choreography? That's I don't think so. I, I mean, it certainly isn't covered by a copyright and I don't think a patent would cover it because a patent is for inventions or discoveries. A trademark is for words or phrases, symbols or designs. So I I don't think so. Unless you put it in writing. Maybe you could put it in writing and then it becomes tangible. Oh, yeah. There is a way to do movement annotation. So maybe that's what you would do. Maybe that's it. Okay.
Let's move on to our second scenario today. And this one's kind of personal. It's about William and Mary, which is where Kelly and I graduated from. They recently sent out a communication stating that seven varsity sports were going to be canceled after this year. It was because of budget constraints, which were complicated by COVID as well. It was signed by the athletic director, the president of the university, and the provost. According to InsideHigherEd.com, multiple sections of the letter were identical to Stanford's letter of July 8th, which announced 11 teams at the university would be discontinued after 2021. SwimSwam.com, an online publication that covers intercollegiate swimming, published a comparison of the two letters. Now, I've looked at the comparison online, and we can put a link to the comparison on our website. And there are many instances of exact wording of phrases, and sometimes even two identical sentences in a row are exactly the same as Stanford's, and others are the same except for minor differences of a word. So clearly it was a cut and paste from Stanford. President of William & Mary and the athletic director have since apologized. That said, this was not a scholarly work or an assignment for college that was turned in. It was a university press release. Is it subject to the same scrutiny under plagiarism rules? Kelly, what do you think? It's not... I don't believe it is when you look at the definition of what is copyrighted. When you look at the definition of plagiarism, which you provided at the beginning of the podcast, taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as your own, one could argue that that's what happened here. However, you know, William & Mary's athletic director indicated that she had been consulting regularly with Stanford and other athletic offices and athletic directors. Um, The situations were very similar. So I have to say, I'm prejudiced. I love William & Mary. I'm not going to say it's hard for me to say anything bad about William and Mary, to be honest, even though I was a volleyball player there and I um, really deeply sad about what happened. We're deeply sad. Yes, we are. Yeah. I mean, it's just a really heartbreaking situation. I don't see this as being a an instance of plagiarism or copyright infringement. Does it meet the standard of best practices? No. And I think that our president and athletic director have said, you know, that they're going to do better. Um, And it would have been, you know, ideally better to let folks know that the situation was similar to Stanford. And thus, you know, this announcement um, has included similar language and phrasing or something to that effect. Okay, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I think Kelly's on the mark here. This is not necessarily a creative work, that press release. It's a tremendously painful and difficult topic. I mean, both of you having been volleyball players at William & Mary appreciate that better than I do, certainly. My guess is that this athletic director, whether she knew it or not, or it was done by her staff, I'm guessing, I don't know the chronology here, Marna, but I'm guessing Stanford had already rolled out their announcement. And so it was kind of proven there was some language. Yes, they had. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Mike, they had. Yeah, so there was some language in there which may perhaps seem to have worked well for for Stanford on a very, very painful topic. And William and Mary decided to use some of those same words. I'm in the uncomfortable situation here of hearing myself justify what some people would consider to be plagiarism. And having taught college history and watched <laughs> students wrestle with this over and over and over again, it's... Uh, I, Yes. Well, one of the professors at the college was pretty irate because she said she had had students kicked out of school for doing something like this. 
passing off somebody's work as their own. Yeah, I think it's really bad form. I mean, they they should not have done it. They should have, you know, what, what do you do? You're going to credit Stanford in your press release, say, hey, we've borrowed heavily from Stanford's press release because they didn't get as much blowback as, as uh, they expected to. Anyhow, I just think it's really poor form. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to borrow my dad's expression, which is it was really bad form because it gives the appearance of rubber stamping a statement from Stanford to the the William and Mary constituency on a very sensitive topic. And that just makes matters worse if you think that they just cut and paste it from Stanford. Actually, in her statement, the university president said information about William and Mary should come from William and Mary, and it didn't. So they apologized for that. In some of the responses to the Inside Higher Ed article, the tweets, Christine Hill said, this kind of plagiarism is fine. All the colleges want to say the same thing. We're talking about a PR form letter announcement. You you provided a couple of tweets in preparation for the podcast, and I'm embarrassed to say I agreed with them both, and they both had opposite views. They, they had opposite <laughs> views. I know. That just tells you what, it makes no what sense. a tricky situation this is. It really doesn't make any sense logically that I would agree with both people, but I, I did. You know, like her statement makes a lot of sense. And then the other tweet you provided, because you did a good bit of research before today's podcast, also made sense. Shall I read that tweet? Yes, yeah, read that one. It was from good. From Kevin Martingale. No one should copy and paste from another university's announcement, especially without proper attribution, and regarding something as sensitive as this. Yeah, imagine yeah. if they had said at the top, we're using Stanford's press release as a template, because they did this and we thought it was good. How would that go over? Ooh, ooh, very bad, very bad. Although, I, yeah, it would have gone over very bad. But having said that, Stanford's a pretty special place. And I think, you know, following Stanford's lead is not necessarily a bad thing. It just it just could have been handled better. And also, I will say something else. When you What they did is regrettable. But when you look at the compare, yeah, there were some sentences. But, I mean, there were whole paragraphs that were different. I mean, somebody took a lot of time to kind of go through it and parse it and find this out. And, and that somebody was a very unhappy former track and field athlete whose sport was canceled. So there's some of that going on here, some gotcha. You know, you, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. I think you're right about that. It's tough. It's a tough situation, and it's very sad for the university and for the athletes. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. That's, that's another topic, another day, Marna, is, um, you know, what's the ethics of higher education? Why do we have institutions of higher learning? Are we there to promote big-time sports programs and them and cultivate the money those bring in? Are we there to give students a fully rounded, fully balanced experience? Even if they play some obscure sport like volleyball, Fencing. And I I know I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, volleyball is not obscure, just FYI. Okay, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, that's the big, (laughs) I think the big issue isn't, like like you said, Mike, it's not what happened in the announcement and how the announcement was, was done. It's the fact that they canceled all these sports. That's really the issue, and that's really what's disturbing people. And that is a great great topic for another day. Yeah, maybe we can tackle that one. I learned that these sports, track, volleyball, swimming, they're known as Olympic sports. I didn't know that. 
Non-revenue sports is another thing I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's all Non-revenue about the, Olympic the sports. The almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, everybody knows what colleges are for. They're to create pro athletes. Didn't you know that, Mike? Yeah, well, okay. So I guess all of my higher education then is for naught. It's it's for naught. (laughs) I never turned out to be a pro athlete, so. Well, years ago, and I haven't seen this since we graduated, Kelly, that we used to have a shirt around campus that said, William and Mary, producing the best educated athletes since 1693. I haven't seen that sentiment lately. Yeah, no, I love that. This is getting off topic of the athletes, a little bit athletes, but I remember driving from Williamsburg to um, to Blacksburg for a Virginia Tech William Mary football game. That was back when they used to play each other. I think we were losing like 55 to like 10. It was terrible. So <laughs> it just, it was a disgrace. And so we had our, our cheer. That's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that was our cheer. Wow. Uh, that's all Good. we could come up with. Yeah. And, and it kind of was true at the time. Not so much now. Virginia Tech is, uh, is definitely an academic powerhouse. Not like William & Mary, but a strong school. But yeah, we had those kinds of things to differentiate us from the huge athletic powerhouse schools. Wow. I don't think William & Mary will ever be a huge powerhouse athletic school. Not with 5,000 people. Wow. I didn't know it was that small. Okay. It is small. We are at the EndNote portion of our podcast, which is where we like to leave you with a little something to think about until we meet again. Kelly, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I just think this is a nuanced topic. It's not easy, especially in today's world where there's so much out there on the internet and you can grab things from different places and sometimes you lose track where you got it from. I I know when I prepare for this, um, I do research and and, and I hope that I'm properly attributing what I'm saying at times because very few of us have (laughs) original ideas. But having said all that, I would just say we need to be very careful and mindful of what plagiarism is. and making sure that we don't pass off other people's work as our own and that we do proper attribution. And that is different and a much lower standard than copyright infringement. But nonetheless, we shouldn't be focused on whether it's a copyright and whether it's an original artistic work. We really should just be focused on, is this somebody else's idea? Is this somebody else's work? If so, or potentially so, I need to call that out and let folks know that. Yeah, I noticed when I was teaching freshman English that we had to spend a lot of time educating our students on what plagiarism was exactly. And I think that's what we're doing here because there are some instances of plagiarism that people may not recognize as plagiarism, but they are. And so here's my end note as an English teacher, keep careful and accurate records of your sources. It's not that hard to do. You can do screenshots. You can keep note cards. You can keep a document of sources. You could keep it on an electronic record. Just make sure you keep accurate records. Mike, what did you want to say? I mean, both you guys have done a great job uh, on this very sticky topic in sort of summarizing it. And I would just add that there's very little scholarship or creation of a, of an artistic work and anywhere that isn't somehow inspired by something else. Um, and you talk to any great musician, you talk to any great author, they all have their sources of inspiration, and they all know their medium, they know other music, they know other literature. And so it's just a, it, it's a courtesy, it's, uh, it's very much in line with the themes of this podcast. It's a courtesy, um, in many cases it's a legal requirement, but you know, you need to let it be known if you're drawing something from somebody else's creative work. 
And that doesn't diminish your work uh, because that's just how, you know, human beings have been creating forever is they're inspired by someone else to do something new and different. Yes, my major professor in grad school said, it's all a dialogue. All creation is a dialogue with somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's keep this conversation going. Leave us an email or a voicemail at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com, and you can check out our Instagram, at Ethics Etiquette, and our Facebook page, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd appreciate if you took the time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. It's good to be with you, and please join us again. New episodes are posted the first and third Wednesday of every month. See you then.